Hello, and welcome to Geo versus Earth Intelligence Podcast. I'm Don Shelby. With me today, Joseph Robertson, Executive Director of Citizens Climate International, founder of GeoVersive, and lead strategist for the Climate Smart Finance Initiative. Our guest today, as we continue our conversation, Dr. Benjamin D. Santer, one of the most decorated and published climate scientists in the world. Most of his historic work has taken place at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories, as well as East Anglia and the Max Planck Institute, and of course, his authorship of a very important element of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Let's continue our conversation now with Dr. Ben Satter. Joe, say hello to my friend, Ben. Hi, Ben. Welcome. It's great to have you here. Don, Joe, great to be your guest. I sometimes think that one of the problems in communication is a large number of people when they think about climate science, they do think it's all about one metric, one number. And that makes it easier for them to become confused about who's right and who's wrong. Nevertheless, most people seem to now be aware this is a problem. But there there are two things that I want to ask you. One is, because of this work, it seems like we know our own planet far better than maybe we ever dreamed we would. And that is itself a good thing. And how do you how do you feel about that particular question? And the other is, is it not our responsibility, every single one of us, our responsibility to each other to know this, to know as much as we can to inform our own choices, to inform our voting patterns, to be good citizens, to be responsible to each other? Let me take the second question first. Is it our responsibility as citizens of this planet to really understand climate science? Absolutely. That's not just a responsibility for climate scientists doing this work. It's everyone's responsibility. We all live on the same fragile earth with the same climate system sleeping under the same sky And we're not going to make informed choices on what to do about human-caused climate change if we're not scientifically savvy, if we don't understand the consequences of action and inaction in reducing emissions of greenhouse gases, if we don't understand the climatic shape of things to come and the likely outcomes over the 21st century and far beyond in terms of sea level rise, changes in surface temperature, changes in the intensity of hurricanes, changes in the statistics of extreme events, think heat waves, drought. In the absence of understanding of what's at stake here, how we've already changed the chemical composition of the atmosphere, how we've already changed Earth's climate, and how climate is likely to change In the future, under different uh, emission scenarios, we're not going to take good decisions. So I firmly believe when I'm asked at the end of public lectures, well, what can I do, Dr. Sander? What can I do to make a difference? I firmly believe that the answer to that question is inform yourself. Be an informed citizen. Understand the basic science 
understand criticisms of the science and whether those are valid criticisms or not. Understand where people are coming from. Have they put in the time? Have they done the apprenticeship, put in the decades of work in order to understand climate systems, science, observations, statistical methods? Or are they folks who really know nothing about the science, but engage in declarative truth? Trust me, I'm a big wig, high particle um, physicist. uh, And even though I'm not a climate scientist, I'm a very smart guy. So you should listen to me. Where are they coming from? What are their bona fides? Do due diligence. Understand the science. Understand where you're receiving your information from. Do we understand our home planet better? Absolutely. One of the joys of my scientific career has been witnessing this increased understanding not only of human effects on climate, but also of the rich month-to-month, year-to-year, decade-to-decade natural variability of the climate system. We have a better understanding of the sun's effects on climate. I've spent a lot of time looking at the natural cooling caused by massive volcanic eruptions, like that of Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines in June 1991. We have a much better understanding as climate scientists of El Niños and La Niña's natural oscillations, if you will, in the climate system that have nothing to do with human effects uh, on climate, but constitute part of this noise, background noise, against which we're trying to identify human effects on climate. So the signal detection problem has inevitably led to better understanding of Earth's climate system, natural variability, the sun, volcanoes, and of every human intervention of human-caused increases in greenhouse gases caused by fossil fuel burning, of particulate pollution that we generate by burning fossil fuels and by slash-and-burn agriculture, biomass burning, of the climatic implications of land surface modification by cutting down rainforests and by developing megacities and changing the reflectivity of large areas of the Earth's surface. This understanding is critical to signal detection, but it's also critical to our understanding of the world in which we live and the rich interplay on many different space and timescales between atmosphere, ocean, sea ice, massive ice sheets, That understanding has been one of the joys of my scientific career, to participate in it in a very small measure, but more importantly, to observe an entire scientific community working collaboratively in order to try to better understand Earth's climate system. You wrote a beautiful letter, open letter to the new president, Joseph R. Biden, and you outlined the damage to science that had been done for the past four years under the Trump administration. 
How long will it take science to get back on its feet? Great question. I do think that tremendous harm was done to science under the four years of the Trump administration. We heard about alternative facts. Like for matter, there's antimatter. For every fact, there's an alternative fact. As if one could not comprehend, apprehend, and measure and monitor reality. Reality was what the president decided it should be waking up on any particular day. And as I've said, and will continue to say, we can't live in a world like that. That is a dangerous world where facts, where science, where reality itself can be ignored for personal political gain or for ego or for business interests. We all lose if we were we live in the darkness of ignorance. And unfortunately, in federally funded science, I think we saw the consequences of that kind of behavior with climate change being that which must not be mentioned, uh, with removal of basic information about the facts of climate science from government-funded websites. Think EPA. The filling of scientific positions by people who were eminently unqualified to serve in those positions by making it difficult to obtain funding for critically important science by threatening to cancel satellite missions that provide us with this basic information about how our planet's climate system is changing all of this stuff was demoralizing, demotivating, and incredibly dangerous. And I believe that it is the responsibility of scientists and of professional agencies and um, organizations, think American Geophysical Union, American Meteorological Science, National Academy of Sciences, to push back against such ignorance, and to defend the scientific underpinning of discernible human influence findings. In my world, there's no point in being a scientist if you are unwilling to defend the technical work you do. So the challenge for the new administration, the Biden-Harris administration, is to change four years of neglect, dysfunction, demoralization, and inspire again, inspire young scientists in particular to choose a career at Lawrence Livermore National Lab, uh, at the Department of Energy, at the Environmental Protection Agency, at NASA, at NOAA, to assure them that they will be able to do good science and will be able to report on their science without fear of political intervention. We need to generate an atmosphere in which it's uh, safe to do science and safe to speak science to power. 
And we have not had that atmosphere for the last four years. Final question, Ben, is this one. You and I are both climbers and have enjoyed uh, a large portion of our lives uh, in high altitude. Many years ago, you were on the Milieu Glacier in the French Alps, and something happened to you, but you were able to take what happened to you and put it into the form of a metaphor for the kind of work that we must be about. Would you tell that story? Thank you, Don. Yes, I'd be happy to. So in my early 20s, I made my first visit to the magnificent French Alps to go on a two-week climbing trip with friends from the climbing club at the University of East Anglia. And it really was my first adventure in big mountains, far bigger from the Lake District in the United Kingdom, Scotland, Wales, the kind of rock climbing that I had done there over my university career. This was ice. This was snow. And one of the climbs I wanted to do was the north face of the Aiguille d'Argentia. And getting to this north face involved traversing the Milieu Glacier. And while doing that, I fell into a crevasse. I fell about 120 feet. I was very, very lucky in retrospect to be alive. And I had to climb out. I had to use these friction knots called Prusik loops in order to climb out of that crevasse. And I didn't know whether I was going to be capable of doing that. All I could see far above me, 120 feet above me, was this thin slit of blue sky. And the calculus was simple. If I reached that, I would live. And if I didn't reach it, I would die and cause great pain to my family, to everyone who loved me. There would be no future. There would be no wonderful son. I've been privileged to uh, be a part of his life. There would be no IPCC report. There would be nothing. There would be darkness. And at the beginning of the Trump administration, I thought about that experience in the cold darkness of the crevasse. And I thought about, metaphorically speaking, how we were all in the cold darkness of ignorance. We were being told by the President of the United States that climate change was a hoax, a conspiracy. It was not. It is not. I was being told by my new boss, the new Secretary of Energy, Rick Perry, that climate change was, quote, <clears throat> a contrived phony mess, unquote. It was not. It is not. So I had to figure out how do I deal with this, with this ignorance? How do I get out of this crevasse? How do I climb to the light as I did back then on the Milieu Glacier on the north face of the Aiguille d'Argentia? And my recognition was, you got to struggle, you got to fight, <laughs> you got to fight for the things you believe in. Back then, I was fighting for my life. Now, in the last four years, I've been fighting for scientific understanding. I've been fighting 
for clear public understanding of the reality and seriousness of climate change. I've been fighting against ignorance. I've been fighting against darkness. And I'm going to continue to fight against ignorance and darkness as long as I damn well can. Dr. Benjamin D. Sander, I'm privileged to call you a friend. Now you have a new one in Joe Robertson. Absolutely, Ben. I'm so glad that we had this conversation and uh, that you were able to give us that uh, that mission statement that I think we all have to adopt. Well, I'm tremendously grateful to both of you for giving me this opportunity to use my voice and to talk a little bit about the past and what Madrid meant and what the Aiguille Argentière meant to me. Um, I've had a lot of opportunity in the last few weeks as I've been stuck here in my office at Livermore, digitizing old documents, reading old newspaper articles, wading my way through thousands and thousands of papers about everything that's happened to me in, in my life. And what a weird, wild ride it's it's been. And yet, in looking back, despite Dana Rohrabacher and the Global Climate Coalition and the Saudis and the dead rat on the doorstep and, um, you know, being having my picture posted by stormfront.org on their website, despite all that bad stuff, I really do feel extraordinarily privileged. In a small way, I've been able to uh, participate in this scientific journey, figuring out the climate system, uh, working on the detective story. And I've met brilliant women and men along the way and had the privilege of working with them and learning from them. So I'm not looking back in anger. <laughs> I'm really looking back with a sense that, uh, damn, it was a pretty wild ride and it's not over yet. Watson? Once you have removed the impossible, whatever <laughs> remains, however improbable, is the truth. You've been about that work, Ben. And thank you on behalf of everyone in the world. Well, thank you for your very kind words. And Don, I have not forgotten about the Boundary Waters, and I have not forgotten that I still haven't been there. And having some kind of adventure uh, up there would be wonderful. I, I still would love to make that happen if there's any way of doing that. We'll make it happen. <laughs> as soon as we get COVID under control, um, I'll reserve a space for us in the far north. Thank you. And Joe, I would like to thank you for all your indefatigable work with Citizens Climate uh, International. As I mentioned you know, my friend, Peter Joseph, uh, my good friend, uh, uh, after hanging up his gown as an emergency room doc, decided that he wanted to do something that really mattered to the rest of the world. And he chose Citizens Climate Lobby. And I'm so in, 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 in awe of his commitment and tenacity and uh, how fiercely he and 
Citizens Climate Lobby have um, been trying to find solutions to this problem. If we're to get out of this mess, we need people like you and Peter Joseph. Thank you, Ben. That is very much appreciated. And we we want to make it possible for others to do exactly what he's doing, uh, to say there is a patient here and we need to save it. And we need people like Don who give us all voices and amplify those voices. And we need people like your daughter, Don, who's capable of telling stories about science and why science matters. Thank you, Ben. This has been Geoversive's Earth Intelligence. Thank you very much for joining us. If you want to know more, go to earthintel.org for all of our past episodes and go to geoversive.net if you want a deep dive on all of the very, very important information surrounding climate change and its many tentacles and how it reaches into all of our societies and all of our lives. Thank you very much for being with us. We'll talk to you next week.